morning, everybody. Morning. Question for you. Who here has ever experienced a case of mistaken identity? Maybe someone came up to you and, and thought that you were someone that you aren't. Or maybe you've done that to someone else, or maybe someone sent you a text, an unknown number to your phone. Yes, Dale, you will receive those now <laughs> on your brand new cell phone. Maybe someone sent you a text, you didn't recognize the number, they were looking for Aunt Judy, and, and that's not you. You know, maybe you had a little fun with that exchange. I know I've definitely experienced that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gone out in public and someone has come up to me rather excitedly and asked me the question or said something along the lines of, wow, you're up in Canada here? What movie are you filming here, Mr. Pitt? <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've heard the, that so often, whenever I hear the name Brad, I'm turning my head as if to respond. I'm just so, so used to it. Of course, that's not true, as you can see. But I do have a true story that goes along with it. Uh, I do supposedly have a celebrity doppelganger. Maybe it would have been better if I actually would have put the faces up on the board for you that don't know. And, uh, and it's not Brad Pitt. In fact, it's even someone even better looking, actually. Um, and if you picture me without the facial hair, maybe a little longer hair, I've probably had this about 30 to 50 times in my life over the years that someone will come up to me and say that I resemble Jack Black. Those of you who know him, maybe you don't, I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but it is something, it is something nonetheless, so kind of interesting, but I think we all do have an experience like that in our lives, or we will at some point to varying degrees, and what we're really going to be talking about today is our identity, and so, as you remember, a long time ago, we started kind of going through the book of Colossians, we've had three or four lessons there so far, and then we took a break, did some other things, and that's all been good, but I wanted to jump back into that for now. And so I just want to give us a brief little rewind and a recap as to what we've kind of looked at so far because it'll help us appreciate more what we are uh, going through today. So, the book of Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul. It is one of the prison epistles, one of the Pep C letters, as they call it, because it was written from a cell in Rome. And it was written to the town, what is now the small town, of Colossae. It used to be a big prominent city in the Lycus River Valley, big for trade, they, they exported, they made and exported this glossy kind of wool, and they were known for that, but, but in the time of Christ and in, Paul, and in Paul's day, it was regarded as more of a small town, so it probably be a small church there, but nonetheless, it was an important church because Paul wrote them a letter. The big thing that Paul was writing to address here was some false teachings that were kind of creeping into the church and endanger, endangering it. In fact, if we wanted to sum up one of the possible themes of this letter, we could do it with a verse from Colossians 2.4 that says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Because that's not what Paul wanted. He didn't want these false teachings to infiltrate and endanger this church and get them off the path. No, he didn't want that. What he really wanted for them was for them to be filled with the knowledge of his, God's, will. His goal was that these Christians here in Colossae and Christians everywhere would be increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of those things. And so, one of the big other themes in this book, and what Paul does, probably maybe more so in this book than in any other, is he just lays down the, the facts of the supremacy of Christ in a very straightforward manner. We're not going to read through this here, but if you can see, look at the words in red. Do these words not encompass what Jesus Christ is all about? Look at some of these words here. Rescue, redemption, forgiveness of sins. 
the image of the invisible God. He's the head of the body, first place, the firstborn, the beginning, reconciled. All these things are things that Christ did and continues to do for us. By Him, through Him, for Him. All these things. If you remember the lesson on that one, it was CLR. You remember what that, those stood for? You might have that cleaning agent on your sink. But it was, Jesus represents Creator. He is Creator. He is the Lord. He is the Redeemer, our Reconciler. And so Paul is saying that this is, this is your identity. This is what you want to hold on to. The last lesson that I gave in this series here was Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And so Paul's saying, because of who Christ is, because of what you've learned, therefore as you've received him as Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, have been firmly rooted, now being built up in him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. That is what he wanted for the Christians there. Because, you, because you've learned this, continue on it, be firmly rooted. Let's make no mistake about it, he was talking to Christians there. Colossae was a church that had heard the gospel. The gospel had come there already. Even if Paul himself physically hadn't, the gospel beat him there. Because he says, if we look at the beginning of, of Colossians, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, the holy ones, the gospel which has come to you since the day of it, understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. So Epaphras was maybe the one who started the church, maybe. We, we don't necessarily know. Maybe he was the preacher there. There's some thought that maybe he was actually, at the time of this writing, with Paul. Maybe, maybe a fellow prisoner with him, if we look at some text that's in Philemon. But the fact is that these were people who had been taught correctly. They had been taught the gospel. They knew. Every time that, that we open God's Word, and in every sermon, we want to see the, the application, right? The relevance. And I would argue that the Bible is completely relevant today, just as it was 2,000 years ago, and if God decides to wait another 2,000 years, what's written in God's Word here will be relevant then. And so, where is the application in, in what Paul has maybe written here to the, the Colossian church? If we look at this text here. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If we were to pick a word or words from these two verses, that the whole world could identify with. Now, not just Christians, but the whole world would have in common what word or words would we select there. If you selected some of the following, the domain of darkness, you're correct. It is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, tells us, Paul tells us in Romans. So we are all in the darkness at some point, separated by our sin from God. We are all in that room grasping for the doorknob, looking for the light switch there. At least we should be. I mean, some people like to just wait and let their eyes go accustomed to the darkness, which isn't a good thing, and it's an entirely separate matter. But, but for us, at one point we were there, and we were looking for something to get us out of that darkness. Because we all had a need to be rescued. We all had a need to be transferred. And we all had a need for redemption through the forgiveness of sins. That is our recap. That is where we're at, and we'll move forward here from there. The text that we're looking at today... Colossians 2, 8 to verses, sorry, Colossians 2, 8 to 23, to the end of the chapter is what we're going to go through. We're going to start in verses 9 and 10. And they say this. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. While we go through this, I want us to keep in mind that, that Paul is writing to address some heresies. That are, that are creeping in, right? And we don't ever hear exactly what they are, but 
if we look at some of the language that Paul uses, we can kind of maybe glean or get an idea as to what they might have been. For example, here, when he says, in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We've, we've looked at it in other books and studied it, and I remember Darcy did a lesson on a long time ago, the, the idea of Gnosticism, which, which scholars believe that this was maybe a, a pre-form of that, that idea that you need to have this special knowledge, and it's really rare to get, and, and that God is kind of separate for the world, in a way, it's, it's, it's a big thing that I'm not going to go into, but there's, there's also another idea in that, that, which is called Docetism, which is the belief that Jesus did not actually have a physical body, that he did not come in the flesh, that he was a spirit, a phantom. If he was walking on the beach, you would not see footprints, is, is that belief. And Paul, rather swiftly and just in a sentence here, he kind of corrects that by saying, in him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's just maybe one of, one of the heresies that was kind of plaguing the church at this time. But, but what we want to really look at today and focus our lesson on is the next verse, where it says, And in Him you have been made complete. You are entire. You are whole when you are in Christ, when you are part of God's family. When you are in Christ, you are in the state that God purposed for you when He decided to give you a soul, when He breathed into you the breath of life. This is what God wants for all his children. Now, of course, he doesn't, doesn't just program that in us automatically. He gives us the choice. And when someone makes that choice down here on earth, that's cause for celebration, right? We are happy for that individual. We are happy for the church when another number gets added to us. As much as we got to remember that there's a celebration on earth, we have to, have to remember that they're rocking up above when someone gives their life to Christ and comes to him. They're excited up there. There's a party going on up there. And so Paul is saying that in him, you're complete. Nothing else needs to be added. And he kind of now goes into detail our identification of kind of how this came about. In the next verse he says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So hold on now. And this maybe kind of gives us a glimpse into another one of the potential false teachings that was infiltrating the church is that this word circumcision here, what, what does that word, what do you think of? Besides, ouch, when you think of that word. You know, I, to me, I think of Old Testament. I think of uh, it, that it being a Jewish term. And, and that's, I believe, exactly what it was here. If we go back to Genesis, we see this uh, exchange between God and Abraham. And it says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall... Be a, shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. And you may wonder kind of off-topically, like, why on the eighth day? But there actually, I believe, is a science behind that. And of course, um, just with the way the blood coagulates and the health of the individual. But of course, God planned all that and knew, and it was perfect. But this term here, circumcision, we, we, we feel that is an old term. It was a way of identifying God's people in the Old Testament, in the old times, before Christ came, the removal of the flesh. But if we go back to our text here, it says that this is a circumcision now that you have that is made without hands. Now that's got to be a bit of a head-scratcher, because when you think of what a circumcision is, it involves hands and hopefully very steady ones at that. So how, how is it now that that is made without hands? How does that work? 
We see a bit of a shift here from, from the, the physical to the spiritual when he says that is the removal of the body of flesh. And again, he's kind of not talking about that, that piece that they took off before, but when he says the body of the flesh, it is, it is our worldly and fleshly passions. It is the extinction of that passion. It is the removal of the spiritual impurity that separated us from God. The circumcision of Christ. We are freed from the old to enjoy the new. We continue with the text. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So if you think of, of circumcision as an Old Testament word, to me, I, I think of baptism as part of the new, the current, right? It, it's a New Testament. Just as, as God said, you know, be circumcised in the old, he says, be baptized here in the new. It is our way of identifying with Christ. And there's some things that we know and appreciate about it. We know that it's not the actual water itself or the removal of, of the dirt of our bodies, as Peter says in his epistle. He says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's the same way that in the Old Testament, if you just got yourself circumcised and then lived however you wanted, it wouldn't be much good for you. And Paul touches on that a little bit in Romans here. And bear with me, it's a long one. He says, For indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you? who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is, that, is, is of that of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Deuteronomy 10.16 says that we are to circumcise our hearts. So we know that it's not just the physical act, but there has to be more attached to it, more with it. We know this one well in Romans, we stay in Romans, in Romans 6, and it says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of God the Father, so that we too might walk in the newness of life. Look what we're accomplishing here. Look how we are identifying with Christ, with his likeness. That is what we are acquiring here, because our old self, it's not just stripped off, but it's thrown away and gone. It's crucified, it's done, away with. We are no longer slaves on this side of things, but free, which is quite a difference if you've ever put in hard labor and work. You know, and to, to be doing that your whole life and to now be, be able to identify in a new way and be done with that, that that's got to make a huge difference. In Ephesians 4 here, we have a text, and... And what it is, what it says that it doesn't say on the board there, it, it's when Paul is he's explaining how to model your life. You know, he's warning that the Gentiles, they were, they were darkened and they were separated from God by their understanding. They were indulging in the wrong things. And so Paul, that's kind of what he wants to keep the church in Colossae here from doing. He doesn't want them to indulge in the wrong things. So he says, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of the seat, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness 
of the truth. So we see that our new identity involves righteousness and holiness, whereas our old one, you know, it was corrupted with lusts, uh, deceit. You know, it's, it, that wasn't an eternal thing. That wasn't going to last. It was going to go away. We're on the better side here now. If we continue, we look in Galatians here, which is a great book, because kind of talking about the old to the new as well, which is kind of the theme that, that we're looking at here today. It says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For all of you who are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for you all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You've put on your new identity. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Supposedly the church in Colossae was mostly Gentile, but there was said to be a number of, uh, of Jews in that area. So one of the thoughts of one of the possible heresies was that the Jewish teaching was trying to be added to the gospel. Here already. Things that, that you have to do, maybe not necessarily for salvation, but to achieve a higher moral standing. And so, if we know anything about Judaism, which I don't know much about, but I believe that they really like to hold on to like Abraham and Moses and, and the, the fathers of their, of their faith at the time. And so, what Paul's saying here is that, you know, you still have that. You're still descendants of Abraham. You're still heirs according to the promise. But there's a new way to do it now, a simpler way to do it. You don't have to be constrained by the law and its rules that always cause you to stumble. You have a new identification. But at the same time, to afford us this new life, this new ID, something had to happen. And something major happened. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions. Having cancelled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. We owed a debt in our old life. It was something that we could not pay. The Greek word, I believe, for it actually means that it was like a handwriting or a note. So someone was keeping track of what kept us separate from God. So Paul is talking here kind of about our sins, the law of Moses, having to keep that. And... and Actually, if we look at this verse, we can compare it nicely with a, a verse in uh, the book of Ephesians. In the books of Ephesians and Colossians, they have a nice similar pattern to them where they're kind of split into halves almost. The first two chapters of Colossians and the first three chapters of Ephesians are kind of the more doctrinal side of the book. And after that, you get the practical, you get more of the application. And so we can kind of see a bit of similarities in these two verses here. We've already read that having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting and stop there. I'm not highlighted that far. I'll stay with where I'm at. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, so our sins, what, what, we were, what we were obligated to uphold by the law of Moses there, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And in Ephesians there, he's more referencing the, the dividing wall that was between the Gentiles, the Greeks, and the Jews. Christ has abolished that. Remember, we are all one in Christ now that he has come. How did he do it? By nailing it to the cross. By abolishing it in his flesh, the enmity took it upon himself to do that. Paid the price that no one could pay. But he left the decrees behind, consisting of the decrees against us, which were hostile to us. These are the things that held the record against us. They condemned us. 
which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances. Now, the word that is the sim similar, or the same word actually in the Greek, that is used in both of these instances for decrees and the law of commandments contained in ordinances is the word, we want to try and pronounce it. It's actually not that hard. But the word is dogma. It might be pronounced a little bit differently. It's one of like the five words I know in Greek. <laughs> Just for this purpose. But the word is dogma, and, and people who, who study Greek and, and have put hours and hours into it, in this instance, they believe that that means, in this case, the obligation to keep the law of Moses. The rules and requirements of the Old Testament. The obligation to keep it was a heavy weight that we could not bear, and we slip up, and then that would pin it against us. Paul is saying that, that this is, is part of what's been abolished. It is, it is the old you. Maybe it was true to you then, but in Christ, we have something more, and it's much better. If we continue on our text, it says, When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. God's triumph was through his son, Jesus Christ. Who are these rulers and authorities? There's, there's many different thoughts on them, whether they're spiritual or just the rulers of the day, like the Roman government, the uh, the. Judaism, the power of that. But the big thing here is that anyone who was opposing God, anyone who was trying to put up as the gospel, a false gospel against it, has been defeated already. It's kind of interesting. If, if you were an enemy of Jesus, and probably when you heard that he was going to the cross, you'd be almost celebrating that, right? Like, that is your victory. Which is funny, because by doing that, the enemies of the cross were basically signing their own death certificate by leading him there, because that is where his victory took place, where he conquered death for good. So we can see here that, that any teaching or any, any person who's trying to hold us to something that is not taught by Christ can be discarded. We have to know the words that we can fish out and know exactly what is true and what is not. And let's not, let's not be blind to the fact that while heresy sounds like an old word that we don't have anymore, that there are ones that exist today, and there's a whole bunch of them, and some of them don't seem all that bad. I mean, look at it this way. How about the, the good deeds to salvation gospel, if you want to call it, the teaching that as long as you do more good deeds than bad, that God will, will save you. I mean, that's not a bad thing in itself. To do good to someone is good, but doing good deeds doesn't mean I necessarily have to even know God or have a relationship with Him. It doesn't include the gospel, so therefore it is not true. How about the one of health and wealth? That if you follow God, if you're on His team, that you'll be rich. That you'll have good health your entire life. I mean, God does decide to bless people with those things, don't get me wrong, but it, it's, it's not for everybody. You know, that, that promise isn't in there, that your life will be easy after turning to God, after turning to Christ. How about this one? It's a popular one now, I believe. The pick and choose gospel. What is true to you? If it's something that's true to you and makes sense to you and you're on board and like it, you absorb that and you keep it. But if you read something that is at odds with you, ah, I'm just going to scribble it out. How true is, is that one? How often do we see that today? But God, you know, in His providence and His majesty, He's made it just quite simple for us. He's made a very easy equation. And we see it right here. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That in Christ, that is where our identification is. That's where we know who we are, who we are supposed to be, who we have been made through Him. Paul really focuses on 
on some of the heresies here in the next couple verses. He says, Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. You know, it's a shadow. It, at the time it was good, it was, it was kind of a tutor, it was part of the process then, but, but your new identity doesn't include that. Your new identity actually includes some substance, which is Christ. Would you rather have the shadow or an outline of a hamburger or the actual thing, something that you can actually hold on to and grasp? That's what Paul is saying that you have in Christ now. The substance belongs to Christ. And he warns that let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. He's saying that these things... They're going to rob you of your gift, your prize. The reward that Christ has in store for you, following these things is going to get you off path and it's just going to leave you, leave you empty-handed down there. It's not things that we want. Continues on, we jump a few verses, which we'll get back to in a bit. It says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these man-made rules here. Things which are, which, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, or of no value against fleshly indulgence. It's interesting what it says there, that these things seem to have the appearance of wisdom. They seem to be good, right? If someone was just out there doing good deeds, that would seem awesome. But if you say right on, you know, like you're out there doing, doing the work of the Lord, and they're like, who's the Lord? I mean... There's no substance behind that then. So it can be tricky sometimes to, to really know what, what's, what's there and what's not. It can be tough. Self-abasement and treatment of the body. These are things like ascetic practices, which is like severe self-denial, like propping yourself up on the street corner and, and having not eaten for a bunch of days, fasting to like extreme amounts. Does being skinny show that you're holy? hope not. Like, you got a lot unholier over the last six, eight months there then, if that's the case. You know? Matthew 6 actually warns of, of this hypocritical acts and errors in, in fasting and, and errors in giving and in prayer. The Pharisees were this group. They were a legalist, dogmatic group bound by all these extra rules and laws that, that they added to the gospel. I mean, they were a zealous group. They wanted to, to do the right thing, but they kind of got more of these things added there. And Jesus called them hypocrites for it. You know, following a list of, of do-nots does not mean that, that I'm doing the do's, right? How about the idea of this? Just because I, I don't murder, that I don't steal, and I don't lie, that doesn't automatically prove the fact that I'm a loving person, that I'm a Christian. I can do all those things because I don't want to go to jail, but it doesn't mean I even know God or have a relationship with Him. One doesn't necessarily mean the other. It is not a, a good versus bad scale. And so for us, we have to really be on the ball. We have to be, be aware of some of these teachings that can kind of seem sneaky and wedge their way in there, and we have to look for the real reason behind the act. We have to see if it glorifies man, or does it glorify God? Is it a teaching of Christ, or is it not? I've kind of held this verse a little bit to the end, even though it was supposed to be the first verse. 
in our study today. It's Colossians 8 because I think it really encompasses and summarizes the things that we've looked at so far. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. The traditions of men, the things of men that, that are not equal to those of God. We have, to, we have to see what, what those are, and then if it's that, we can cast it away. Whether it was Jewish philosophy, a, a syncretism, like a blend, whether it was Gnostic teaching, teaching from a group called the Essenes, if it was Greek philosophy, we don't know exactly what was plaguing this church here. But if it's not of the gospel, if it's not of God, if it is not identifying with Christ, we can cast that away. In 2.8 there, where it says to be captive, that word is to be led away as prey, led away as a prisoner of war. They have not have good things ahead for you. We remember these things because those are things that, that are of the world. They are traditions of men. Things that, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to these degrees, decrees? At one point, we were alive in the world, yes, for sure. We were dead to Christ at that point, but our identity has switched. It has changed. It is now the opposite. The rules of, of man in the world, the teachings of them are not applicable to us. Now, don't get me wrong. That is not a license to just go do whatever you want. Romans 13 says we still have to respect and obey the authority as long as it's not combative with the Word of God. But we have put off the old man. We have stripped off that garment and not just left it there, but we've kicked it away across the room. It's gone. Sometimes I think we forget that, though. Our memory, right? Sometimes forget and we remember that that one garment was comfy and easy to wear and cool. And we like to keep it close. But we have to remember, the great thing as a memory is, I like when you said that, right? Because I was like, ah, oh, I, can, I can take this and, and add it right to the end here. That our memory is an important thing, that, that we have transitioned, been transferred into the light. And this is a reminder for young and old. Some of you have put on Christ a long time ago. You've been wearing him, you're comfortable in him now. Remember that. Be an example for those who haven't been doing it as long. Your life, your identity is now in Jesus. It is in Christ. And there's a trick that we'll look at here to help you in that walk, which is, remember what we said earlier on that last lesson, that we were supposed to walk and to be firmly rooted and grow strong. We were to hold fast. These are actually from a cloud family words, believe it or not, so... Next week, I think I'm going to go in and get my knuckles done up just like this, for those of you who can read it. It says, hold fast on there. That's probably an old sailor tattoo or something like that. But hold fast, the idea of hanging on, clinging on. It says here, and not holding fast. Now, you might think I made a mistake in saying that, but I don't think I did. We're talking about here in the previous verse to it, it's talking about those who, who are being led astray, who are, who are teaching falsely that they are not holding fast to the head. So if we don't want to be a part of that, if we don't want to be lumped in with them, we do the opposite. So we hold fast to the head. From whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a, with, with a growth which is from God. It is important to us that we grow, and we grow by abiding in Christ. John 15, and we have to stay connected to the vine, that is the source of our nourishment, the reason that we will grow. Like Paul asked for before, he wants us to increase in the knowledge of God's will, and growth is vital. Let's not uh, mistake that. In Ephesians 4, we see this, and it says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If we don't grow, we are susceptible to be tossed by the waves. We are, we are more easily looped in by trickery of men and taken away. So as we reflect on this, we think and apply. We ask ourselves, are, are we two of the world, you know? Do we accept the gospel, but, but sometimes we want to add things to make it seem right? I mean, it's such an incredible gift that we, we kind of feel that we want to do something of our own to, to say, like, thank you to God almost. I'll, I'll, I'll earn it this way. You know, that, that's a mindset that, that we can have. But sometimes by, by doing that and adding, which, which Revelation says that we're not supposed to do, to add or to take away from what is written here, that we lessen Christ's work by doing that. There are many different doctrines in the world. You can find one that will suit yourself just right, but the one that we are focused on, the one that we are to be following and adhering to, is the one that is found in this book, the Bible. Because we know that if it's not of God, it's bound to perish. It's not going to last. The things of God are eternal. To close, it is our job to keep walking and be firmly rooted. That way we're not, sway we're not swayed. Our job is to know the word, to know that that is our identity down. To know who you are and remember whose you are. It is in Christ, the Son of God, that we find our identity. Our new life is here in Christ. He is supreme, he is unmatched, he is undefeated. And he, and he alone, is enough. Thank you.